I think there are just some systems and some notions set up in society where politics need to be separated from our personal identities or our relationships with people. And you don't want to see someone for their politics, which I do understand the concern of that. But I feel like to understand a person completely, I need to feel how they feel about politics and maybe how they got to where they feel. I think about those things. And I think that allows people to understand everyone more completely. everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today is a very special edition of Mentorship Friday. My guest is Cameron Sackett. He's a recent graduate of the University of Michigan, and he's looking for his first full-time job in marketing or social media management in the middle of a pandemic. I've known Cam for over 10 years. I first met him when he was in middle school. And now, as a young adult entering the workforce, I wanted to have a conversation with him about what he's looking for in a job, how he's doing it, and what it's going to take to get him into the workforce. I know many of you are tired of the generational discussion in the workforce. So we don't really have that today. We talk more about life stages and what Cameron is looking for at this period of his life. And I think he has some really keen insights and lessons for all of us, whether we work as leaders or human resources professionals. I love Cameron. I'm lucky that he considers me to be a mentor. And I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Cameron Sackett on Punk Rock HR and Mentorship Friday. Hey, Cameron, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Cam, I've known you since you were a kid. And by the way, you were a terrific kid, like no problems, no issues. You didn't drive your parents crazy. So I love that about you. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if my parents would say that, but I'm glad that you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they had nothing but good stories about you. And it's pretty great to see you where you are today. You're a recent graduate from University of Michigan. So I just wondered, can you tell us a little bit about the last four years? What was your college journey like? What did you study and what did you enjoy about it all? Yeah, so I had a little bit of an unconventional college journey. I did graduate from the University of Michigan and I spent my last three years here. I started out at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, where I was on the varsity swim team. I was doing the whole East Coast, New York thing. And I realized I wanted to be a little bit closer to home. And so after my freshman year, I transferred to the University of Michigan, which is about an hour away from my home in Lansing. And I've been studying communication and media and business, doing a lot of different internships, being in clubs like acapella and club swimming and a couple like political organizations. And so it's been a fantastic three years here specifically, but I'm very grateful for the experiences that I've had during my time in Ann Arbor and also in New York. Well, you know, it's not unconventional to transfer. I think what's most unconventional about your story is that you transferred and still managed to graduate within four years. That's pretty terrific. Yeah, I'm the first person in my immediate family to do the four year college experience. Everyone else has gone over. And so I have like the lowest tuition bill, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cameron, you just spent four years at college. You were involved in clubs, you were active on the school campus. I wondered what you learned about yourself over those four years because that journey from leaving high school to graduating from college is huge. I think we develop as individuals, develop as adults, and the world 
worldview we had on graduation day from high school is different than the worldview when we graduate from college. So what's changed about you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned from college is how to be self-sufficient. When I transferred to the University of Michigan, I lived alone for two years and largely my sophomore year, I spent alone. I didn't have a lot of friends. It's hard to transfer anywhere, but specifically not knowing anyone. And this isn't a feeder school from my high school or anything. And so I really learned how to rely on myself and be comfortable being alone and having to do things for myself. I'm not only just living alone and having to cook and clean for myself, but also in the workforce and school force when I needed some help, I needed to go get that for myself rather than turn to my parents or I needed to just reach out to whoever I thought could help me. And so that's a huge thing that I learned during my time in college, just how to do things that you're not necessarily taught how to do in high school. You know, it's so interesting that you talk about being alone because loneliness is such a phenomenon right now in the workforce. And it turns out that making friends is harder as you get older. And Mm -hmm. many middle-aged men find that they don't have any male friends and all of their friends come through family or partners. And they're just at this point in life where they've forgotten how to make friends. So I wonder, what did you do to make friends on campus when you were new? Yeah, I did the whole first semester basically alone, relying on maybe a couple of people that I had known prior to my transfer or like one or two people that I'd met here through people that I knew. But I decided after my first semester at the University of Michigan to audition for an acapella group. I was really involved in music growing up. And that's basically how I made all of my friends moving forward was either through the connections that I made in my acapella group or their friends. That's who I live with now. And those are the people I foresee being my friends for a very long time. So I'm really glad that I branched out and did something a little bit outside of my comfort zone and just tried something new. You know, I think that's the challenge of adulthood to remember to be brave and bold and courageous when it's uncomfortable. And it's certainly hard at 20. It doesn't get any easier at 30. And I'm 45. It's still really hard, Camp. (laughs) It's not an easy (laughs) thing to do. Well, you know, now here you are a graduate, right? In the quote unquote real world. And boy, you have a string of bad luck here because you're looking for a job in a once in a lifetime pandemic. So why don't you tell me what that's like? Yeah, it has been tough. And I'm sure that everyone is saying the same exact thing. But I feared for years that I was just going to time my graduation incorrectly and time it right into a recession. Or I mean, I never pictured something like this. But just I was worried about graduating into a recession. And I remember calling my dad the week that it finally hit me that I was going to be graduating into some pretty bad circumstances. And he was just like, you need to stick to all of the things that you've been trying to do. And I've been known for when I I did all my internships. I applied to a lot of internships. And so just kind of not losing hope. But it's been very frustrating these past five months of searching for a job. And I've been lucky to have the support of my family during these times. And the five months that I have been searching for a job, a lot of them I've been in school. I just graduated in May. But it has been an extremely frustrating experience. Yeah, I can imagine that. So while you're looking for that first dream job, what are you doing for income right now? Right now, I am kind of just relying on savings. And also, I am a shipped shopper, which is one of the grocery delivery people. I've been doing that for about two years now. And I really like it, not for a full-time job, but for like a little side hustle. It's nice. So that's why I wanted to ask about that, because I think a lot of people have an assumption that the gig economy, it fulfills certain needs within society, but a lot of different types of people are doing it. You know, college graduates, older individuals. So what is it like to be a shipped shopper? I really like it because 
because you get to make your own schedule, which is really nice. Like if I were to get a part-time job here, which I definitely could pretty easily, I would just have to work out the schedule that I was assigned to. But I can assign myself my own schedule, which is really nice. And I can choose the stores that I go to. I can choose the orders that I shop. I just listen to podcasts when I shop. I put my headphones in and that's basically all that I do. And it's been pretty nice. People have been pretty generous during this pandemic. It was a little bit scary for a while because I didn't really want to leave my house. And I didn't want to expose myself or my roommates or my family to anything that could harm them. But they've been really supportive as a company. And it's been a pretty nice gig these past couple of years that I've been doing it. Yeah. And I'm glad that you have something that is a little bit flexible. So in case an interview comes up or a phone screen or, or whatever or a course you want to take, right? You've got the flexibility. So that's really important. When you are doing your job search right now, I know I graduated at a time when there was a recession, not quite the Bill Clinton economy that people talk about. It was really hard for me to find something. And so my standards waned, which is exactly how I ended up in human resources. But I wonder what kind of jobs are you looking for? And like, what's a good fit? What's the perfect job for you? I mean, broadly, I'm looking at marketing jobs, but I think the perfect fit for what I want to do right now and where my experience lies is a job in social media. I have had a number of internships in social media and I worked at MTV in social media last summer, which was just an incredible experience. And it was kind of led me to what my dream job would be, which I would love to work in social media for a media organization, specifically a TV network would be the dream. But I can attest my standards have dropped a little bit for what I allow myself to apply to. So is there anything you won't do? Because for me, when I was looking for a job in 1996 and 1997, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be a waitress because I'm a terrible terrible waitress. I knew that. I had one job as a busboy, using air quotes, that's what they called me. And I dropped a platter of ketchup bottles and they fired me on the spot. <laughs> so oh my I knew gosh. that was the one thing I wouldn't do. Is there anything that you won't do? I mean, you're working at Shipped right now. So you're, I think, willing to work hard. Yeah. I think the one thing I wouldn't do is like a very strenuous manual labor job. That is just not around my alley. <laughs> but with my family growing up, we had a cul-de-sac and we're very friendly with all of our neighbors. And whenever someone would either like have to replace their mulch or their rocks, we'd be the first family there to help. And I would just beg my parents, like, please don't make me do this. And of course, they always made me do it and it builds character. But to this day, it's still one of my least favorite activities. <laughs> Yeah, don't blame me. That's definitely tough work. But it sounds like just short of that, you're pretty open to anything. I would advise you not to necessarily take that job in human resources because it's taken me a lifetime to get out of it, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad would be happy as the one child to go into human resources, but I don't know if I'll do that. No, I think I think we want to skip that. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned your dad because every parent thinks that they're an expert at looking for work. Like my parents who barely worked in their lives thought they could give me advice on my resume. So it was really super frustrating. So every parent thinks they're an expert, but you're cursed because your dad works in the human resources and recruiting industry. And I wonder how has that been helpful and maybe how is that a little awkward? Yeah, it definitely is a blessing and a curse. My dad is one of the most proactive people. Like if any one of my friends, anyone that he tangentially knows reaches out to him for help with the job search, he will help them tenfold. He is so helpful and he's so giving and I'm so grateful for that. I'm very grateful to be his child. However, it is a lot of work that if he expects, especially for me and my brothers, is if he sends us something or if he sends a contact, he expects us to act on it immediately, which I think is... I've been trained to do that from him, but it is a lot of, not a lot of work, but it is a lot of pressure, I guess, 
to live up to the contacts and he knows a lot of people and I don't want to like get, leave a bad impression. Like he's reaching out to these people on my behalf and I really want to leave a good impression for them and hopefully turn that into some opportunity. He was just texting me minutes before we started recording about jobs that he wants me to apply to. And he's so proactive. I'm very grateful for that. But it is a little bit of pressure. Oh my God, it sounds nerve wracking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're of a generation where it's okay to have your parents involved or I don't know if it's okay, but it's just more common. I think I grew up with my boomer parents really sort of involved, but also like sink or swim, right? Mm -hmm. And your dad will never let you sink. So that's really lovely, but he's going to force you to swim. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. He has a plan. Every single time I call him, it is very much, I have concerns and he has a plan of action for those concerns. And there's 20 steps involved and he wants you to do all of them as soon as possible. He's very empathetic to my situation. And I think he knows what I'm going through. And so he's very kind about it, but he's also forceful on that. If you want to get a job, it takes a lot of work to get a job. And so you need to put in the work. That's right. That's right. You know, welcome to managing your parents' expectations anyway for the rest of your life, because whether it's work or the way you raise a family or where you live or when you build a home or whatever you do, your parents are always going to have opinions. And I think it's a really interesting challenge you find yourself in at this period of life, because you certainly have a vision of your job search, right? And what you want to do. And then you've got this expertise and it is true expertise from your dad. And you're going to be walking this line and then you're going to get a job and wait until he starts giving you advice on performance management, you know, or like development or or what to do with your 401k. I mean, it never stops. So welcome to adulthood. Thank you. I'm not sure if it's a great place to be right now, but I'm here and I'm living in it. (laughs) You, You don't have a choice. You're here. Absolutely. Well, you know, there are a lot of conversations about the future of work and I know your dad has them. You have them in your home and you and I have talked about politics and work and universal basic income and automation. So I just wonder as you enter into the workforce, you know, the workforce today is not what it's going to be in five years. What do you think the future of work looks like and what are you excited about? I think the first thing that excites me is the idea of some sort of hybrid work situation. I have always been very daunted by a 40-hour work week or 40 hours plus. I just think that it would get really monotonous for me. And I'm the type of person where I'm pretty active. I like to get up and move around. I don't think I can sit in an office chair or a desk all day, every day for the rest of my life. And that's something that worries me. And so I think I get excited, especially in the times that we're in and seeing all the shifts to working remotely or having some sort of hybrid situation. I don't think I ever want to work fully remote, but I am 21. So that could change when I'm 50 or something like that. (laughs) But I do get really excited by the fact that I could do some days at home, I could do some days in the office, or there could be some sort of hybrid situation where I could live in some city and I could just work in an office that isn't necessarily the office that my company owns or something like that. That is pretty exciting to me. And it helps calm my nerves around a whole 40-hour work week. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's a book out there called Bullshit Jobs. And this book argues that the 40-hour work week is really a lie and that most people are just wasting time at work anyway. So why not pay for results and outcomes? And if it takes you 60 hours or it takes you 35 hours a week, whatever it takes, it takes. But don't just pay people to sit around and be on Facebook and Twitter and Snap and all the different (laughs) social channels. And in fact, he believes that that's why a lot of these channels are thriving because people are bored at work. What do you think about that? 
I think that would make a lot of sense. My dad has said that he's seen any employee that he looks at 25 to 30 hours at home is 40 hours in the office. From my own experience, I can attest to being an intern is a little bit different than being a full-time employee. But I did spend a lot of time on social channels just because I had nothing to do. And although I would love to get paid, I think there are things I could go do something and get paid or just do something else. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think for people that work really efficiently, and I would think that I work pretty efficiently, I just don't see myself being productive for 40 hours with the amount of work I'm usually given, especially when it came to school, I just would get things done a lot quicker than some of my peers. And I was able to sometimes progress more quickly, or I was held back by the fact that I wasn't able to progress. And that's just something that I can attest to personally, and I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I think about the future of work, there is something I'm a little worried about. And that's the fact that to your point about your ship job, more and more people are part of this gig economy. And I think it's both a blessing and a curse because when you're part of the gig economy, you're not necessarily protected by labor laws. You don't have the same developmental opportunities. You're often seen as a second class citizen. So that's like my concern for the future of work that more and more companies are going to say, you know what, we don't want full-time employees. We just want a bunch of part-time employees or gig workers. I wonder if you have any concerns about the future of work other than like productivity and, you know, being held to some arbitrary number, anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, I definitely am worried about that. I think especially in the marketing realm, I think a lot of people are moving to freelancing and they're hiring a lot of freelance employees. And that's just something that worries me a little bit because of the fact that I wouldn't get the same benefits as a full-time employee or the same protections. I'm still on my parents' medical insurance, but I won't be forever. And so those are the type of things that worry me, especially in the world that we are in today, where if we don't have necessarily the best system set up for people that don't have full-time employment and the benefits that come from full-time employment. If the world does progress into certain areas where there maybe was universal health care or protections for workers that were provided from the government, not just from companies, I think that would ease my worries a little bit more. But I do have concerns about that. And I think the impending AI, whenever I think about that, that just worries me a lot. But I do think that is a little bit a ways off. But that's just a concern that I think will live in the back of my brain for a while. You know, it's interesting when we talk about concerns, we start to touch on that political realm. And I know that when I was younger, I had all of these boomer women telling me not to be political at work. But you know, Kim, I could never separate politics from my true self. And so I wonder, where do you fall? I mean, are you political? Where do you think that line is with work? Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think I generally think that politics need to be talked about in more spaces. I just think that part of what separates us is that we're too afraid of talking about politics and understanding our differences, but also understanding our similarities. Wait, wait, I'm going to interrupt you. Why do you think we're too afraid to talk about our politics? I think there are just some systems and some notions set up in society where politics need to be separated from our personal identities or our relationships with people. And you don't want to see someone for their politics which I do understand the concern of that. But I feel like to understand a person completely, I need to feel how they feel about politics and maybe how they got to where they feel. I think about those things. And I think that allows people to understand everyone more completely. I think what happens is that we have these systems of work where people are supposed to show up and just get stuff done for an organization. And then you have HR ladies like me back in the day who were worried that if people showed their true selves, 
they would just fight. And we didn't assume that people could have really honest, earnest conversations about their similarities and their differences. And I think, you know, some of those fears have been borne out. You know, people are getting into fights about face masks. But on the other hand, I think if we give people an opportunity to practice talking about politics at work, maybe people would be more productive and maybe they would enjoy their jobs more. or Maybe they would just learn something new or have a greater sense of empathy. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like people enjoy themselves more when they're able to be themselves completely and not restricted in any sort of way. And for a lot of people, when you hold back their politics, I feel like that does really restrict them. And a lot of people hold their politics very close to their identity. And I think that would help us not only be more productive, but also create closer relationships with the people that we're working with and be able to understand them better. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. But you know, you're in an interesting position because you're navigating a totally murky job market. And you've got to put yourself out there without offending anybody and without somebody prejudging you. And a lot of that is done through like the manipulation of social media profiles. So for me, like I don't give an F what people think about me, right? So I can be out there (laughs) talking about basic income or doing the things that I love to do. But I think you've got an interesting challenge in how you present yourself to the world. So what's your thought process behind like a LinkedIn profile or a social footprint? Like how do you do it so that you're you, but you give people the opportunity to say yes instead of disqualifying you? Yeah. Generally, I operate under the rule for social media that if I wouldn't want my mom to see it, I won't post it. And so my mom follows my social media very carefully and she always has. And I have to say now, looking back, I'm very grateful for that. I have an embarrassing footprint, but not an embarrassing in a bad way. And embarrassing is like I had Facebook when I was 13 and there were some trendy things that I did. (laughs) (laughs) It's cute. It's like embarrassing cute though, like endearing, I think. Yes, it's definitely endearing to some, maybe not to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like the philosophy. I think, you know, you're erring on the side of being conservative, but you just mentioned that it's better when we bring our full selves to work. So can you talk to me about that tension? Yeah. I mean, I think my mom and I have a very close relationship. And so I feel comfortable talking with her a lot about a lot of things. So if she's fine with me posting that on social media, then that generally is fine. But I definitely think that I try to portray the most honest sense of self on social media. I think that is hard because you're not going to post the pictures of you where you look bad. You're only going to post the pictures of yourself where you look good. I definitely try to tailor what I'm posting about and maybe what I'm retweeting or liking surrounding my interests. And so I'm not going to hide something that I'm interested in. And a lot of times that is politics. I'm maybe not going to post in support of candidates or anything. I think that generally I try not to necessarily post long-winded manifestos on why I believe a certain way, but I definitely do post in support of policies or in support of campaigns, especially on Instagram or Twitter. But yeah, I think it is a difficult thing to navigate. How do I decide what not to post and what to post when it is relating to myself? But I generally feel comfortable with a lot of people. And so I err on the side of... I'll post something and if there's backlash, I'll take it down. But I haven't had any backlash yet. So I think that just my kind of my voice and my personality is pretty accepting to most people. Well, I don't think there's anything that just based on your personality, you could ever post that would be detrimental or mean-spirited. And you generally have a good head on your shoulders. But I would say that some of the most important things I've ever put out on the internet have been the ones that have been a little unflattering of me, like where I've been raw. 
and I've been honest and people have been able to make that connection and say, oh my God, I see myself in that. So I don't know, Cam, I think sometimes, you know, it's good to be conservative in our approach, but there are other times I'm really glad I've taken a risk and posted that ugly photo (laughs) or, you know, (laughs) that embarrassing thing because people say, oh yeah, me too. And that builds community. And I think you are all about in marketing, building community, right? I mean, that's what marketers Mm -hmm. do. So I don't know. That's what I think about that. What do you think about that? I definitely think I see that as well. I don't know if I've had a lot of opportunities in my life yet to be very raw and honest and open about like some experience that I went through or anything like that. But I would say that most of my social channels are pretty curated to people that I know really well. I don't have these broad reaching social channels necessarily. And so I think I have a lot of those conversations in person with people. And I think I share my struggles pretty openly with the people in my life. And so I don't necessarily need to post that about that on social media, but I do think it is a factor of my age a little bit. The fact that I haven't had these wide struggles where I think I connect with a lot of people on that. But I definitely think I'm open and I've seen my dad post things before that have been controversial. And I see how sometimes there's a lot of negative response, but sometimes there's a lot of positive response. And I think that is something moving forward that I would like to approach social channels with just being a little bit more honest about my struggles as they come. And I think that part of me doing this podcast and doing other things is sharing the struggles that I'm going through currently and being pretty open about all the frustrations that I have of my life right now. Well, I think you're making a wise decision coming on my podcast. I can say that. I'm super proud to have you. I love that. (laughs) I do want to talk a little bit about this word that you just used, though, that I wrote down and really grabbed me. And that is curation, because you talked a little bit about curating your feeds to the appropriate audience. And I think that makes sense. But for me, where I do that the most is LinkedIn. But you know, you're in your early 20s. Are you even really on LinkedIn? Do you know anything about LinkedIn? Is that something that's even in your consciousness? LinkedIn is definitely my consciousness. I would say I go on LinkedIn every day, but mostly just to clear the notifications that they give me. (laughs) (laughs) People post a lot and I have a number of connections. And so I do get notifications and I'm the type of person that likes to clear the notifications. So I would say I go on every day, if not multiple times every day. But I would say that I use LinkedIn more than many of my peers, but many of my peers use it a lot more than me. I'd say I fall somewhere in the middle. I was on it pretty early in college. Thank you to Tim Sackett, my father, for forcing that upon me. And it is not a world that I am very comfortable in. I will say that. I feel like it's a little bit too professional. It's a little bit too buttoned up for the way that I approach social media right now because I did grow up using Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And so that's kind of where I feel the most comfortable. But especially working in social media and wanting to work in social media, LinkedIn is a space that I need to feel more comfortable and I need to utilize to the the best of my ability, not only in any job that I will have in the future, but also for my own personal use. And so that's something that I've been navigating. I've never posted a post on LinkedIn about myself. I've had a number of people reach out to me because my dad has posted about me and my brothers. But I think it is something that I need to get over that hurdle. And I think I'm going to do that soon because people on LinkedIn have been very generous to me over the years, sending me really nice messages and some helpful messages. And so I think that posting would just amplify that. Yeah, I don't disagree. I do think that there's I mean, there's a lot going on with LinkedIn. The one benefit of it for the most part is that 
identities are generally correct. And so if someone says, you know, I'm so-and-so from Paducah, Kentucky, they really are. And in that way, it's a little bit safer. In another way, it's the system created by a bunch of baby boomers and older Gen X people who think like this is the vision of work. And for me, LinkedIn is very hierarchical and very structured in a way that I don't think matches the future of work where you have to like put in your chronological resume and everybody has a formal job title. And, you know, a lot of people now bounce in and out of roles, they're freelancing. And I don't think LinkedIn really highlights the best of what's happening in the world of work. And then, Kim, there's this weird thing where everybody's trying to inspire one another on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Stay away from that, man. (laughs) It's just some depressing stuff. So I think you're right. Like, there are people you can connect with, but the challenge for you is converting those connections to in real life conversations, like getting those people on the phone. Have you been able to do that? Do you connect with recruiters and then get them on the phone, or is that still a hurdle that you have to face? I think I've done that a few times. A LinkedIn message will turn into an email, which will turn into a phone call if it goes that far. I've also done a podcast interview from a LinkedIn. My dad tagged me in something and they contacted me. I've still never seen where that podcast went, but I did the interview and it was a fun experience. But I've had a few things turn into something beyond just a LinkedIn message. But I wouldn't say it happens a lot and I wouldn't say it happens often. Yeah. Well, I wish you good luck with that. For me, I think you're doing it right. But the one thing you could do is you can turn off those LinkedIn notifications. Have you done that yet? Oh, no. And I'm going to do that right after I get off this. Oh my <laughs> God. It's just the worst. It's terrible. <laughs> yes. Hey, Cameron, as we wrap up the conversation today, I really want people to know you like I know you as someone who is just a smart, talented individual who can make a contribution to any marketing department and specifically a social media marketing department. So as an employee of a future organization, like how do you sell yourself? Like what's your elevator pitch? What do you leave people with that wants them to learn more? I think what I typically market myself as is just someone that is very hardworking. During my time in college, I either was on the varsity swim team, which is a huge commitment, as any former athletes can say. But I worked every single minute, basically, of my time in college. I had six internships. I had probably four or five non-internship jobs. And so I'm just someone that's always looking to do the next thing, do the right thing and work really hard. I also think one area that I lie in is I want to be really progressive in everything that I do. I want to be on the cutting edge of something. I don't want to be a traditionalist. And I do think that is hard for some people to swallow. But I think that's something that, especially in the social media and marketing realm, they're always trying new things. There's always new things coming out. There's new trends. And so that is something that I pride myself in is being very on top of the trends and being very on top of what's next. And rather than kind of griping about it, but accepting it and being willing to change with the times. And I think that also comes with me being 21 and a part of this Gen Z generation. But I don't know. I just think that I'm a very hardworking person. And I think that I will dedicate myself 100% to anything that I'm a part of. Well, I believe that to be true. I mean, hardworking, progressive, you want to do cool things. I mean, you're 21. That's all right on the money. (laughs) That's exactly where you should be. You don't want to work in an office where you're like manning the fax machine. Like that is just a nightmare. And I know that because I've done that job. You don't want to be... Oh my goodness. No, not at all. (laughs) Well, my dear, it's been so good to catch up with you. I'm sorry your job search is happening during a pandemic, but hopefully someone out there today is interested in what you've put out there and would want to learn more. So where should they go? 
Well, you can find me on LinkedIn to search Cameron Sackett. Um, that's probably a quick way to reach me, but I'm also at Cameron Sackett on most of the socials if you want to reach out to me that way. Yeah, that'd be incredible. And thank you so much for having me on today. It has been so fun. I love podcasts. And I also am the producer and editor of my dad's podcast, HR Famous, slight plug. And I've been on one episode of that as well. So that'd be really cool if you could check that out. But I'm just really grateful for you and all of your support for so many years. Yeah, I miss you so much. I'm sorry that I can't come and see you this summer. It's terrible because I want to beat you at mini golf. Come on. Uh, I was just telling my roommates we have to play mini golf and how my family used to get so mad at each other when one of us would win and one of us would lose, which always happens. Someone always wins. That's how you play mini golf. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, there's nothing like a competitive round of mini golf with the Sackett family, as I can attest to. So (laughs) it's been a real (laughs) joy though to catch up with you today. We'll make sure we have all of your contacts in the show notes. And thanks again for being a guest on Punk Rock HR. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cameron Sackett. You can head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash podcast for more information on Cam, or you can find him on LinkedIn under Cameron Sackett. This special edition of Mentorship Friday was produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Productions. I want to take a second to thank him for all of his hard work during the pandemic. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. 